punch him right in the throat. He's so but, annoying. He's so f***ing inconsistent. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian radioactive monkey man himself, the Peter. Everything, all true, all true. It's especially the uh, especially the part about the monkey, the monkey man, radioactive, of course. And there are two of us. Which is actually quite topical for this topic. That's true. Enough. Cecil was supposed to be here, but he had something come up at the last minute. So he said he will be back next week, which will make sense because it'll need three people for that just to keep the oh, whole that's theme weird. going. So yeah, and we if didn't, you want to have a weird this. threesome. Well, okay, you, you get to be in the middle though. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> I'm adventurous that way. And if you want to be adventurous, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. But also, we are now also sponsored by NordVPN. If you don't know what a VPN is, basically, it's how you can be on the internet and be safe. A VPN encodes your data. They can, they have servers all over the world where if something's region locked, you need to be in Malaysia to watch it. It's a Malaysian-only YouTube video or something. You can click on their Malaysian server and it'll look like you're in Malaysia. Plus, like I said, they encrypt all of your data, so it makes it much harder to steal your credit card numbers or anything like that. There's also the torrenting thing, but we're, we're not really pushing that. But NordVPN is offering a special. If you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN D-R-O-M-E, VPN, 75% off a three-year plan. That's only $2.99 a month for three years of internet protection, being able to access region lock content, all of that kind of stuff. It'll really help us out, and it'll really help you out. So go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. All right, now that we got all that out of the way, you want to actually talk about the topic? Yeah, maybe. So our topic tonight, which is fitting that there's only two of us, are franchises that only have two movies in them. I'm going to say, for the sake of argument here, remakes don't count. So a yeah, remake... remakes and um, remakes and prequels, I think we can nix. No, because a prequel is still part of the franchise. A remake is, by definition, starting a new franchise. Well, maybe if it's like a prequel, like the way the um, like say the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one was, or that um, that thing one, which was like thirty years later. I don't really know if that counts. I, I think it would because they're meant to be part of the same continuity. The Texas Chainsaw so. one, not so much, because that was the Texas Chainsaw one was sort of the continuity of the of the of the remake of the remake. So that's not that, that that's sort of a different thing. I'm talking about stuff like Fright Night. So there are there is a remake, and then there's a remake of the remake. But I'm talking the original Fright Night franchise, which has two movies in it. I am probably going to have fans want to murder me right now, but I only like one of the Fright Night movies, and it's not the one you guys are thinking I'm going to like. Don't like the first movie. I just watched both of these. 
I don't like the first movie. The characters don't act right. Nothing, it, it's, it's boringly directed. Nothing makes sense. It, I don't like the first Fright Night. On the other hand, I loved Fright Night Part 2. I thought it was fun. It had more energy. I think the more expansive cast really helps bring it all together. I know everyone loves Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge, but I loved Regine. I liked the flipped roles for Peter Vincent and everything. I'm sorry. I like Fright Night 2 better. Fright Night 2 is fine. It's a really good movie. I mean, I like the first one, but I think the second one's pretty wild, too. The second one is hated among horror movie fans. Everyone loves the first movie, and again, I don't see it. The characters don't act like people would react. The dialogue is stuttered. I... I I don't like the first movie. I guess I see in 85 where it was different than something else, but if you have six fingers, you're different. That doesn't mean you're necessarily better. It's it's earned its place in, in cult cinema history, but I see where you're coming from with the second one. I, I too, like the second one slightly more. I just I just think it's a little more, like, crazy and, and out there, and it's it's paced slightly better. Like, I do think it, it just adds that extra notch that the first one didn't have. Well, in the second movie, I think one of the reasons people hate it so much is the second movie never really came out. It just sort mm. of happened because of weird behind-the-scenes circumstances. You remember the Menendez killings? That's why this movie didn't come out. The Menendez who was killed, the father of the two killers, he owned the distribution company. They killed him three weeks before the movie came out. The movie was only released in four theaters nationwide. Oh, wow. So Fright Night 2 was... It just was one of those movies where people read about it, and then a couple of years later, they saw it on video, and I think it sort of got this reputation of, man, this thing wasn't even good enough to be released theatrically. And it was like, no, there were circumstances that had nothing to do with the movie, why it was not released theatrically. Like, well, yeah, people you know, the distributor like being that. shotgunned by his children. Well, there's a lot of people that are kind of dumb that way, they assume because something was released on video that it's automatically a bad film. I, I'm I'm sorry. I I will say to anyone out there who says that the first Fright Night's a better movie, fight me. Come on, right now, fight me. <laughs> Fright Night Two's better. But then, like another one, and I'm I'm probably if Cecil were here, I know he would attack me. I like Nine Seven Six Evil Two a lot better than Nine Seven Six Evil. I have no real frame of reference for that one because it's been a while since I've seen either of them. But I mean, hey, man, that's that's just like your opinion. Before we move forward, then, let, let's look at why do you think a franchise, Fright Night, Night of the Evil, whatever, only gets two movies? Do you think it's usually it's not good enough to get a third movie? Or do you think it's usually, you know what, we told our story. Like, with Fright Night 2, I get it because it died at the box office because of the fact that it almost had no box office. They had a third film plan. Two's financial performance, there was no way a three was ever going to happen. And three yeah, was kind I mean, of a- we don't know. If it, if it would have been released properly, there there's very well a chance that we might have gotten, like, a, a Fright Night 5 movie franchise. So we don't really, we don't really know because people... People just decided to gloss over it because of the whole limited release, release on video thing. But also, they had a third film that, not scripted, but planned out, and mm. it was going to be interesting. With no explanation in the plot that they gave, Jerry Dandridge from the first movie is somehow alive again. But he's not the bad guy. He has to team up with Peter and the gang to fight also, a the, new... the vampire from the first one? 
Yeah, the vampire from the first one. So okay. he has to team up with Peter and the gang to fight a new race of vampires who are sick of the masquerade and hiding in the shadows and think they should rule humanity. Okay, so that's Blade 2's plot, but this is, you know, <laughs> 15 years before Blade 2, and I thought, that could have worked. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. That would that would fit the tone of the the first two movies pretty well, and it's a nice way to kind of do a callback to the to the first one as well. And I, I like the uh, Gary Dandridge. I actually really enjoyed him as the vampire in the first movie. I think he's he's one of the things that really carry the first one. He's very charismatic as the Dracula esque lead vampire baddie. But like I said, that never happened. And then like Nine Seven Six Evil, that also had a giantly troubled production. The the sequel, Jim Wynorski just sort of shit out on video, and I just happened to like it better. I, I think it's got more style to it than the Robert Englund directed original. Sorry, Robert. The next one is one I know you can talk about. Exterminator. It's a two-film franchise. Yes. Even though most people don't want to admit franchise. the second only, film actually happened. It only really needs two movies, I think. The second one wraps it up quite well. It's actually a surprise that the second one even got released because I think like the whole last hour ended up getting reshot because Canon decided they were unhappy with it. There's a trailer for the second one that's got like footage that we'll probably never see in an official cut of Exterminator the old make, 2. But... The old making of on HBO also had a bunch of scenes in it that are not in the final version. Oh god. Yeah, that one's um it's an interesting topic with the Exterminator films because you got the first one that's like super sleazy, uh James Glickenhaus just in his peak prime uh, making those um New York-based vigilante, street thug, street slime kind of movies, what I would consider to be a perfect vigilante exploitation film, a movie that a, a Punisher film should be like. Uh, love it. I've always loved Exterminator, one of my favorite movies ever. And I also really like Exterminator 2, but they decided to go a very drastically different approach with this one. This It, it felt a little more camp. The music is a little more synthy, kind of almost goofy and video game sounding to an extent there's there's obvious influence from what canon was um becoming and what they were known for like you know the electric boogaloo it was very death wishy as well yeah which was also a canon franchise at the time well yes but i'm I'm trying to mention that they had um they had little nods to to things like breaking like the 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 gang members in exterminator 2 do like literal break dancing in the streets and dance around on like roller skates and stuff Obviously, there's the whole problem with, with them wanting to reshoot, like, the entire thing, almost, and then they decided to go with the ending. Tone is completely different, yet it's somehow weirdly darker than the first one in that John Eastland, Robert Ginty's character, doesn't save anybody. He yeah, always he's, he's makes kind it, of ineffectual, isn't he? He's never on time. That That old couple at the end get killed, his girlfriend gets killed, his friend gets killed, like, even some random woman who gets, like, knifed in the middle of the street he shows up after that happens to torch the bad guys and he does torch a lot of bad guys in this movie and it's actually cool that for for this film he actually looks the way he does on the poster of the first film he's got the army jacket and the and the welding mask and the flamethrower something that they they advertise to a huge extent for the first movie even though he only uses a blowtorch so those elements are cool they kind of made more of an honest exterminator movie but he's not nearly as much of a 
of a hero in this one, even though the first one is a lot more graphic, a lot more violent, um, a lot more, a lot more in your face, especially during the, the, the scene where he busts a, uh, a, a child, child prostitution ring. That's really intense, but you know what? He saves all those people. He saves the girl that's being abused. He saves the little, little kid, or I guess he's meant to be a kid, but the young boy that's, that's getting raped. He's quite a hero in that one. He avenges his, his friend. He does right by his family in, in two. Even though it's got a much goofier tone, it's really dark. Like, I compare it to um, RoboCop 2 in a way, which is also kind of, it's a lot more campy than the first movie, but it has a lot of really dark themes in it at the same time. You have child mobsters, you have the conflict between, you know, Murphy, whether or not he should admit that he still has his human emotions, or whether he should just act like a robot, he has to pretend like he doesn't know that his wife exists, and that, you know, your husband is dead, and it's like, it's kind of, it's goofy, but then when you think about it, it's like, it's really dark for a movie that kind of looks and feels as campy as it is, so I kind of see Exterminator 2 as as the RoboCop 2, as of the Exterminator movies, because the first one is a lot darker, a lot grittier, a lot more violent yet somehow it it leaves you kind of with this feeling like god what an ineffectual character he didn't save anybody that's weird just it's an ineffectual movie it almost doesn't even feel like it's part of the same franchise oh hardly at all because it this feels like all of a sudden it's not quite mad max but it's mad max influenced with the dystopian city and you got the punk rockers and they all have sort of you know road warrior kind of clothing with gang and shoulder pads it's it's very much more 80s than the first film was well the first one felt more like like Taxi driver exploitation. Like, it's that sort of movie. That well, it was set against the backdrop of, you know, seedy, New dirty 42nd Street. Uh, it, was, it was great. It's, it's just your typical um, lone gunman wearing an army jacket, dueling out, uh, dueling out street justice. Um, or doling out street justice. Um, whereas the second one, yeah, it's, it's like he, he's got, um, that garbage truck that he turns into like a, a battle tank, a, a battle tank thing. You've got the very Mad Max style gangs. Um, you, you've got a lot more like, uh, kooky, synthy kind of music. You, you've got literal breakdancing in it. Uh, and, and yet somehow it's insanely negative and insanely dark. Um, I, I really would like to eventually see the original cut of this film, especially cause because the ending looks a lot better instead of that like very drawn out very tedious cat and mouse between between Mario Van Peebles and Robert Ginty we we had them just having having a street fight and that actually looked looked a lot cooler I bet it had some fun choreography in it but this was during the last legs of canon and I just I don't think I don't think they knew what they were doing they were misproducing a lot of stuff they were wasting money on on reshoots clearly I think the exterminator 2 we were meant to get was probably going to be a lot better but Golem and Globus just didn't know any better well, and then this also, like I said, we're going to examine maybe why these films were only twos. So Fright Night 2, we know why that stopped it too. 976 Evil, the first one wasn't really a big hit anyway, and the second one was direct-to-video, so no one really even noticed that there wasn't a third one. Exterminator bombed at the box office. What about, again, keeping in mind, remakes don't count, Ghostbusters? That's a two-film franchise. I mean, yes, there was the, there, there's the cartoon after the fact and stuff like that. It's two movies. And the second movie, it didn't bomb at the box office. It, it didn't make as much money as the first film, obviously, but it didn't bomb. In the case of Ghostbusters, I think, for one, too much time had passed between the sequels. If they had struck while the iron was hot, instead they waited five years to make a sequel, and that was too long. And that's why it didn't get a third one. The cat, the crew, and the cat, 
the cast and crew were always constantly fighting with each other over the direction of it. And I think when right. you when you got something like Ghostbusters, you have so many. You have Harold Ramis and you have Dan Aykroyd and you have Bill Murray. You have so many people fighting with each other over the direction. You almost have too much creativity. So a third film, I don't think was ever gonna. I know we're supposedly getting a new. Yeah, I'll I'll believe that when I actually see it. <laughs> yeah, with the the case of Ghostbusters, I think the interest had just fizzled out. Well, they waited you know, five we, gotten, years. Yeah, five years to do a, a sequel. Like, it, it, especially at that point in the eighties, if if you're gonna make a franchise, if you're gonna if you're gonna push for this whole like sequel franchise thing, you gotta make it at least the next year or at least two years apart. You really gotta strike hard while it's hot. And, and they didn't do that. I feel like Ghostbusters definitely didn't continue because it had just, it had fizzled out. There, there was enough interest in it. It did well enough, but I feel like people had already kind of moved on to other things or, you know, they were already into the cartoon and some of the merchandising and whatnot. They were like, eh, I don't really care about another Ghostbusters movie. You know, we, we already had that really good one five years ago. Well, and then technically comic books are in here too. Like Fright Night had a comic book series that mm. weirdly enough, it ignored Fright Night 2, but followed the events of the first Fright Night, so you kind of have another continuity, sort of like with the Ghostbusters thing, where mm. the cartoon, while it does reference Ghostbusters 2 in one single episode out of the 150 plus episodes, it was sort of its own thing. And I think sometimes mm. when you go to another medium, you get that too. The audience is maybe getting their fill, like with the Fright Night comic books or the Ghostbusters cartoon, and so the... the the, the rights holders don't feel like there, there's any impetus to push forward on another movie. Yeah, that's true. We've got the comic book. We've got the cartoon. There's enough product out there to, to keep it prosperous. But Ghostbusters, let's say the cast and crew were getting along, okay? Do you think a Ghostbusters 3 could have worked in the 90s? Because it took them five years up until 1989 for Ghostbusters 2. Let's just say it took another two to three years to make a Ghostbusters 3. I don't know if the 90s... Ghostbusters was kind of... When we're talking the originals, it's sort of an 80s thing. I don't know if the 90s would have worked, you know? I mean, that being said, I do think people still would have gone to go see it. I think just for the nostalgia sake of it. But then again, you look at, um, you look at franchises like the, like the Ninja Turtles, which probably should have stayed as a, as a two franchise, as a two movie franchise thing. Cause we saw what happened with the third movie of that. And it's like probably a good thing that they didn't do a Ghostbusters three. I mean, you never know what direction those, those third films to sort of early nineties, late eighties films are, are going to turn out to be. Oftentimes during that time, they just, they ended up looking cheaper. They, they ended up replacing certain actors. I mean, look at what happened to I mean, Robocop three is not entirely Fred Decker's fault, but I mean, what the, the studio just raped the shit out of that one. I'm sure the same thing happened with, with TMNT 3. Probably is a good thing that we didn't get a Ghostbusters 3 in the 90s. People would have gone to see it, but I feel like there would have been a lot of disappointed audience members leaving that theater that night. Okay, what about one of the most famous two-film franchises with a character who's also spun off into comic books and whatnot? Snake Plissken, the Escape hmm. From movies. Now, I yes. know we were supposed to get a third one, and I guess technically, considering that Luke Besson lost all three appeals of his plagiarism lawsuit, is Lockout technically, does that make Escape From a trilogy then? Not really. Be- because it's plagiarized it's not... Snake Plissken? Well, it's, it's, it's a... 
Escape from New York inspired movie. I mean, if you want to say that, then you might as well say that 2019 after the fall of New York well, no, is no, also no, no, an no. escape movie. No, no because see, the, John Carpenter had planned a third escape movie and it was Escape from Earth where Snake Plissken was on a space station. Lockout literally, hmm. Luc Besson lost the plagiarism appeal from John Carpenter and all the appeals. Officially, Lockout is a plagiarized movie, so it's kind of an unofficial Snake Plissken movie. It's the unofficial Escape from Earth, really. Yeah, but it doesn't have Kurt Russell in it, and it's not directed by John Carpenter. I mean, I really love Lockout, but it's not an escape movie. It's an escape-style movie, for sure, but the official ones are New York and L.A., whether we like it or not. I mean, Lockout, I feel like, is is a much better movie than Escape from L.A. will ever be. We've got two movies here. Do we actually have two movies? Because Escape from L.A., by John Carpenter's own admission, is sort of a satire of the first movie. Yeah. So while it is technically a sequel, it also is sort of a reboot, kind of. Does that make sense? Well, it's almost the same movie. It it hits a, a Which lot is why, of the same you know, beats. The, the satire angle, yeah. They basically do. Just, they just take... Because the first film is quite dark. It's quite serious. There's not a whole lot of humor in it. And then with the second one, they, they take basically almost beat for beat the exact same plot, a lot of the same kind of in, interactions, a lot of the same sort of world building, but they add jokes to it. And they base it in L.A., obviously. And the uh, tone is much different, too. The tone is way different. It's it's very Hollywood. You, you have Snake Plissken surfing with, with Peter Fonda on a tsunami. I mean, I... I, I don't hate the movie, but it's... Yeah, it's Pam weird. Greer playing a dude. Pam Greer playing a dude. Like, there's a... Carjack Malone, I think, was the character. Yep. I don't hate Escape from L.A. I really don't. But I also don't particularly like watching it either. <laughs> like, it's but, something I, I might pop in every now and then. It's like, oh, I kind of feel like watching Escape from L.A. And then I'll get about halfway into it and go, ah, that's why I don't like this movie. It's very unnecessary. And I, I feel like John Carpenter completely wasted the money he got for it because it's like instead of making a genuine sequel, he made something that makes fun of one of his great movies. And a lot of people just look at Escape from L.A. as as a joke. He ends up getting what was looked like a pretty big budget for the movie was blown on a lot of effects that didn't need to be CG. Most of it was just a joke, like stupid satirical jokes making fun of the first movie, which is a great film. Escape from New York, it's a great character. It's a great world. Everything's really interesting. You take it and you, you piss on it. It's fine. It's It's your franchise. It's something you wanted to do with it, but... Now people just remember it as like a franchise where one movie was fantastic and the other one was just pissed out of your deck a little bit. Like it's just – and it had a bigger budget too, which is just embarrassing. Like can you imagine if that's what Terminator 2 was? Huge yeah. blockbuster. But then all it does is shit on itself the whole time and it's like why is – why is the Terminator stupid now? And it's like, it'd be completely pointless. Pointless movie. Which is why I don't know if, if I really want to consider Escape from L.A. a sequel or not. Because it's not a reboot. It's kind of like but... Evil Dead. It's kind of like the Evil Dead situation. Because Evil Dead 2 is barely really a sequel. What happens are a lot of retreads of what happened in the first movie as well. And, and both can be used, both Evil Dead 1 and 2 can be used as a segue into Army of Darkness. You you don't really need to have seen Evil Dead 1 to have seen Evil Dead 2. Same with Escape from L.A., I think. Like, it, 
you're, you're pretty much introduced to the character of Snake Plissken all over again in almost the exact same way that you're in, introduced to him in the first movie. I don't know. This one I'm a little wonky on, but the next one, a lot of people have, are, are gonna not have, not understand this one, but Lady Snowblood. Mm. There are, there are two of those. Now, the first film is the better of them. More people are going to be familiar with Tarantino's influence from the movie on Kill Bill than have actually seen Lady Snowblood, which is an amazing movie. And the sequel is still fantastic. You never see anyone talking about that one. Well, no, it's, it's a bit lesser known, which is kind of what Tarantino does. He'll take something that not a lot of people know about and then everybody will give him credit for it. Oh, Django is such a good Western. What an original idea. Is it? No, not really. Kill Bill. So original. Nope. No, it isn't. But also, Lady Snowblood comes from the 70s. That yeah. comes from a different era where sequels were far, far less common than they were yeah. than they would be by the 80s. So the fact that Lady Snowblood had a sequel, which technically was shot, they were shot back to back, sort of, you know? Mm. I mean, you can tell stylistically parts of two were shot at the same time as one. I don't know the full histories behind the Lady Snowbloods, but I, I highly recommend those. I, I showed those to my girlfriend a couple of years ago, and I hadn't seen them in, I don't know, 15 years and I think it was the first time I'd ever seen the first one widescreen because mm. you know I had old you know VHS bootleg of it and so right. I think it was the first time I ever saw it widescreen gorgeous oh, wow. movie and you can see when you watch Lady Snowblood you go wow Tarantino didn't just borrow from this he f***ing copied it no absolutely they're, they're great movies though both Lady Snowblood 1 and 2 are fantastic and even though if there are there are a few stylistic differences between the two I mean it's a little more cohesive than a lot of the other sort of sequel movies that would come out. Like the, like the, the two wolf guy movies are completely different. Like the second one, which is the, the Sunny Chiba one is, it's meant to be a sequel to the first one, which is more of just like a high school kid going through weird wolf changes and whatnot is then the Sunny Chiba one is he's like some, he's a cop and he's got wolf powers and he's bulletproof. And, and yet it's, it's also, uh, it's also a wolf guy movie and a lot but of, it's Sunny Chiba, dude. Yeah, it's, it's Sonny Chiba. If you're gonna, if you're gonna give Sonny Chiba a movie called Wolf Guy, you're gonna get him flipping around and messing some people up. But, but in that, in that case, those, those are two movies. Those are two movies with the, the ones, one's a part one and one's a part two. And they're, they're completely different. So at least, at least in Lady Snowblood's case, you have two movies that are at least kind of cohesive and they feel like they actually do, you know, happen after one another. Well, what about, again, we're leaving remakes out, although ironically enough, the remake has a sequel to the remake, the Piranha movies. You've mm. got Joe Dante's Piranha and then, and then James Cameron's Piranha 2. The Just one more time and then James Cameron's, James Cameron's Piranha 2. Just to remind everybody that yes, James Cameron did make that movie as much as he wants to f***ing deny it. James Cameron. James Cameron. He, James he's Cameron really, he's directed. really wonky on that. There are times where he wants to deny it, and then there are other times where he embraces it, and then he denies it, and then he embraces it. It's like, dude, you need to make up your mind. I, God, I really we all know James you directed Cameron. it. Just take I the credit. I really credits. don't like that guy. I really, I love his movies for, for the most part, I guess, at least a lot of the 80s and 90s stuff that he did, but I think, I think as a person, I want to punch him right in the throat. He's so but, annoying. He's so 
fucking inconsistent. But with the Piranha movies, again, does this really count? Because Piranha 2's history is it was originally shot as a movie just called The Spawning. It was not a sequel. It was not a sequel at the time. And then Asinitis and Roger Corman had business dealings with one another. Corman allowed him to use the, allowed him to use the name. So there was one line of AD, of obvious ADR dialogue that references the first film. Does this count as a two film franchise since, while it technically is a sequel, it really isn't? It was released as Piranha 2 and Piranha are in it. So I, I think it counts. And it's a fantastic movie. I love Piranha 2. It's, I, it's, I, okay. I, I love the first movie and I love the second movie. I'm not going to say whether one is better than the other because well, they're, they're two, they're two different totally films. different films. Yeah. You know, the first film is a satire. It's over the top, but in a, it, it's got a much more fun, jovial sense to it. The second mm. film honestly almost takes itself too fucking seriously. It's very serious. Yeah. I mean, it's a film about flying genetically altered piranha and it, it, ta- uh, this is probably to James Cameron's credit. It takes itself like a serious horror movie. Oh, it does. There's almost got, you know, no humor got to other it. things to to aid to that. You got you know Lance Henriksen's fantastic performance. It, it's a good looking movie, so it's very easy to to sit there and actually. It's like yeah, I, I take these flying piranha pretty seriously. This is some serious business. But then you got the remake, which was terrible, and then you have the remake, <laughs> the sequel to the remake, which was terrible. So just screw all that. No, but no, technically, it, yeah, they're they're both kind of. Those those two are both their own franchises. If it's a remake and it has a sequel, then those are two movies from that franchise, and we have the original. I don't think there are four Piranha movies. There are two each from from different. Uh, there's the, the remake franchise and there's the original franchise. Well, actually, there's a fifth one because in 1995 there was a remake of Joe Dante's original, also for Showtime. Seriously? Yeah, I didn't there's know a that. 1995 one. And no. So idea there's actually existed. five movies technically, but only two are in one franchise. Then there's a remake, and then two in another franchise. So it gets a little clusterfucky. The only sequel that that uh, Steven Seagal ever made theatrically, the Under Siege movies. <laughs> I love the first Under Siege. I think oh, it Under is, Siege I, one is phenomenal. I, I think a it's a movie. legit, legit great movie. Great okay. actors too. Like oh, Gary Busey and often, Tommy Lee Jones. It's not often that yeah. you see Seagal act alongside just heavyweights like Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, who honestly they steal the movie. They're fantastic, without a doubt. They're so good, and they play off each other so well too. Like you almost, you'd rather just have a movie about them, like. You know, stealing a submarine and and uh, mocking the the government and the military and stuff like fuck Steven Seagal. Just throw him out of the movie. Just make make a a, sat- a satirical political thriller starring Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey stealing a submarine. Like that that writes itself. That's a fantastic movie. But then Under Siege Two came out. And that's not very good. Now, I understand Seagal didn't want to do it. He was basically, he was basically given a Faustian deal. You make this and we make Fire Down Below and On Deadly Ground for you, but you gotta do Under Siege 2 for us. So he didn't want to do it. I give him credit for that at least. It's almost the same freaking movie. Yeah, just on a a train. It's like Speed 2 with a bus. Under Siege 2 is not necessarily bad. I, I think it's got some good, um, so bad it's good moments. Like the, the villain of the movie, Ryback! Eric Bogosian, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It, it's got some good moments. 
but it doesn't come close to to the first one which which as i said so much of the charm of, of the first film is getting to see a movie that features steven seagal tommy lee jones and gary Busey on a submarine like there's not a lot of places you can go see that that's fantastic you've really got some big shoes to fill if you're going to do a sequel to under under siege which is why i wonder why there was no under siege three because two didn't <laughs> didn't flop it underperformed it didn't do anywhere near under siege's numbers but mm-hmm. remember under siege was a surprise hit even oh, warner did, brothers did didn't huge. expect it to do the numbers that it did it did really big numbers like i don't know if it was just marketed really well or, or people were just taken by the plot or they were like "Ooh, tommy lee jones like you never i don't really know but it did really well so it definitely justified a sequel just unfortunately it, it just the, the pants were too big to fill what about a movie that is by the same basic people and the sequel just goes off the rails mm. waxwork now i i love the first waxwork it has problems a lot of problems the first waxwork is like 15 movies in one you know because each time they they step into the waxwork you have a vampire movie for 10 minutes and now you have a werewolf movie now you have a mummy movie now you have a sci-fi <laughs> so it, it's it's sort of an anthology film but not really and then waxwork 2 said screw it we're just going to do all the cocaine when we make this. You got the swashbuckling adventure and the zombies. and It, it tries to do the same thing. Waxwork 2 doesn't work at all for me. Waxwork 2 <laughs> is it, it's sort of like Exterminator 2 to Exterminator. The first film you could call relatively serious with comedy. The second film is a comedy. I mean, there's one thing to do tonal differences, and they can kind of work at times. You, you got the two... The first, uh, Terminator 1 and 2, which obviously has turned into like a freaking five trilogy. Terminator 1, very subdued, subtle, neo-noir kind of movie, more of a thriller than an action film. Terminator 2, much bigger, much more boisterous, bigger stunts, but the character is still there. The lore is still there. It still connects with what the first one was. It's just, it's bigger. It's a grander scale. Um, so that can work. And tone-wise can also work in, in the benefit. It's also a natural progression of yes. the Sarah Connor character. It is. It really is. It works. The, the bigger feel works absolutely perfectly with that because you have Sarah Connor becoming such a bigger character, such much more of a powerful character. And I think what can work in terms of tonal shifts as well in the advantage of of a two-film franchise is, say, the Guyver movies. Guyver 1, which was Stuart Gordon. Very comic booky. Very comic booky. Stuart Gordon, Screaming Mad George, doing this very silly, goofy, slimy kind of movie. It, it's nothing like the manga, even though it takes a, a lot from it. It's really more of an action science fiction comedy. And then the second film, holy shit is pretty much the exterminator but with aliens and bio armor it's violent it's dark it's rooting fight sequences are are just amazing the guyver movies are one of the few franchises that start kid friendly and go hard r usually it's the opposite of that it's insane it's like it starts with robocop 3 and then ends with robocop it goes straight to that it's gruesome i still feel like some of the most violent movies i've seen as far as like just movies in general go, are some of the stuff you see in the Guyver films. Like, holy Christ, does he mess people up. Lesser level mob bosses. Like the first 15 minutes of that movie is him just running rough shop on these normal dudes. 
he's breaking their legs. He's slitting their throats, throwing them through windshields. It's insane. And then he shows that he can do that to people that are just as strong as him. Like he takes one of those uh, Zoonoid dudes, shoots him in the face with his laser. His eyes just pop open. Like it's crazy. And it's, it's a great tonal shift because they took something that was kind of goofy, kind of silly, even borderline forgettable with the first Guyver movie. And then Guyver 2 is just, a, just an ultra bacon deluxe mega you f*** your mother sequel that's just so awesome like Guyver 2 is just it's a perfect example of the second movie not only being better than the first one but it makes you forget the first one even exists see that's the way I feel about the 976 evil movies I just Mm. the second one it it it, it's just a better movie. Yeah, but then, it, it takes a concept that worked, takes it to such a higher level. It's like, we could do so much better with this. Let's do it. But then you also have something like like the Swamp Thing movies. First Swamp Thing, the Wes Craven one, which is not really great. It's not great, I, but it's good. Like, Return it's all right. of Swamp Thing, the Jim Wynorski direct-to-video sequel, is so much better. And I don't know. I mean, it's the tone... It's way more of a comic book film, too. Well, yeah, like, the, the tone Jim changes. The Jim Wynorski sequel feels so much more like like a DC movie. Ray Wise is very good in it. Like, I enjoy Swamp Thing 1. I like it. But but the second one, it's Guyver 2 territory. It's Terminator 2 territory. It really did work quite well. It was a good idea. Works well visually and just amped it up by, like, by like 50 but what I don't understand is, and I guess this is to Jim Wynorski's credit, he had half the budget Wes Craven did, and his sequel looks better on every level. The lighting, the costumes, the cinematography, the explosions. He had half the budget Wes Craven did, and it looks better. I mean, that that is a credit to just him as a filmmaker, because he has made a lot of really, like, smaller budgeted, smaller, even micro-budgeted films. I mean, you got... You got movies like Chopping Mall, you've got Death Stalker 2, you, you've got Return of Swamp Thing, and they're relatively low budget films. All three of those are. 976 Evil 2 was Winorski as well. Yeah, they, yeah, all of them look really nice. All of them are, it's the pacing too. The pacing in Wynorski's movies, at least his good ones, are really well done. Say what you want about the guy. He went on to do some, like, weird porn stuff. He went on to do bathtub party scream queens or whatever. But he, he doesn't have the best reputation no, as a maybe person not. out but there. His, the, but the movies that he put in effort into, his genuine films, his his Return of Swamp Thing, his 976 Evil 2, they're great movies. He knows what he's doing, and he can take something that's, you know, half the budget of something Wes Craven did and make it look so much bigger. Like, Swamp Thing himself looks so much cooler in the sequel than he does the in the costume first costume is, go back and watch the Swamp Thing movies back to back. For some reason, I, I mean, this might be a little bit before your generation, but I grew up on those live-action Saturday morning kids shows, like from Filmation, like mm. Isis and Ghostbusters and stuff like that. The first Wes Craven movie feels like one of those. The costumes, the film stock, and maybe that's intentional. Literally, with Wes Craven, that could have been what he was going for. Well, I think they but were it going feels like for... a 70s kids film, kids well, movie. Maybe that combined with, like, a universal monster movie. I think there was meant to be kind of a vibe of that and it worked and it didn't work like as i said i like the first swamp thing but it's got its problems like the the second one went and did it the way it was meant to be done swamp thing looks cool it's a well-paced movie the story is fun the satire is on point 
I absolutely love the lighting in Swamp Thing. Oh, oh yeah, Thing. it looks great. Because he's got lots of blues and reds and greens. It doesn't make any sense where this lighting is coming from. Fine. It just looks really cool. It looks cool. It, it makes you feel like you're watching a comic book film. Why is the swamp emanating blue light from underneath Swamp Thing? I don't care. It looks great. <laughs> I mean, Swamp Thing, the lore of, of that character, there's a lot of supernatural stuff. So I, I don't know. Ghosts. Now, this next one, it is technically a two-film franchise, but I don't think it really is. And I think most people will agree with me. Chud. Chud 2 is actually a rejected Return of the Living Dead 3 script, and oh my god, can you tell? Because remember, Return of the Living Dead 2 was very comical. Chud 2 was the original Return of the Living Dead 3 following the comical Return of the Living Dead 2. Now that I say that, you can totally see it, can't you? Oh, you can. It, it just sucks, though. Chud 2, it's got the number in the title. They call him, uh, I, 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 they call Bud him a the chud, chud in it. Yeah, Bud the Chud. I don't really consider Chud 2 a sequel. And it's not just me going, well, I don't like it, so it's not. I'm saying, it's just not despite a Despite the movie. title, it's not a sequel. Like, anybody that's seen Chud and has seen Chud 2, Chud 2 is not a Chud movie. <laughs> these, no. these are not cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. You know, Bud the Chud is not a cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. He doesn't even look anything like those things. Chud it's the Phantom of the great... Paradise as zombies. Ch- Chud is is a creature feature, or or at least people that have been like mutated into creatures that live underground, and then they look freakish and ghoulish, and their eyes glow, and and they eat people, and they live in the sewers. I, I consider Chud to be one of those great like slimy New York kind of movies. Like, it, it fits right up there with... um Street Trash is more of a sequel to Chud, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to say that, that Chud makes a, a great uh, companion piece to stuff like Street Trash, Slime City, even even like The Incredible Melting Man. Like, it, it's that sort of movie. It's it's like it's a, a Slime Glopola film. It is. It's absolutely a Slime Glopola film, and one of the best. Whereas Chud 2 is just like... It's it's almost more like... um. That that zombie from Day of the Dead, like, was it Bud? Yeah. Bob. It, where he's kind of like, you know, he's hang, hanging out with the humans and stuff, and it's, it's like a funny zombie. But obviously Day of the Dead has a lot of other more serious stuff surrounding it, which makes it a good movie. Day of the Chud, Dead is freaking nihilistically dark, man. Absolutely. Day of the Dead is awesome. But it's like if you took that one zombie that's like kind of learning how to human again, and you just made a movie about him, and very incompetently directed and incompetently written from what was meant to be Return of the Living Dead 3, Chud 2 sucks. And speaking of Romero, now, obviously the main dead films, the quadrilogy doesn't fit into this, but what about Diary and Survival? Cause see, I, cause survival is a sequel to diary. On the one hand, I think diary about the first half to two thirds works and then it falls apart. Yeah. Survival is so bad. I will never ever sit through that piece of shit again. Well, aren't they all, like, isn't diary and survival supposed to connect also with like land and no. day and dawn and night? No, no, d- diary is sort of a reboot it's the whole beginning again huh. but you know in the others the, the the beginning started in the 60s now we're in the internet era and the rules are different no uh diaries a diary survival is a separate franchise technically okay but yeah i mean i guess it's a it's a two movie franchise their diary is not terrible it's not great survival i barely remember anything about but yeah that's that's a two movie franchise how about this one since remakes don't count Conan. We have Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. Which again, you've got one great movie. I mean, I, I love the John Milius Conan. 
Oh, it's easily I mean, I, I, one of the best uh, sword and sorcerer movies ever made. I mean, I, I was part of that Mike White seven freaking hour podcast he did on the projection booth for this. <laughs> I love Conan. And then Conan the Destroyer happened, and you're like, ah, God, ooh, ah. It's like, I still like Destroyer, and Destroyer actually takes a lot more from the novels than uh, the first one did. But it just feels flatter. When you say the novels, I don't think you mean the Robert E. Howard. I think you mean the L. Sprague de Camp ripoff novels. Yeah. But, uh, you know, those, the L. Sprague de Camp Conan stuff and the Robert E. Howard Conan stuff are almost separate franchises in and of themselves, too. Oh, yeah. But it, it took, what I mean is it, it did take a little more source material. Like the John Milius one, he kind of just did what he wanted to do with the character. And he did a fantastic job with it. I think it's, it's a far superior movie. And to me, it's still the Conan movie. The second one is fun, but in a lot of ways, it doesn't quite feel like the same character. The, the action sequences aren't as intense. Just everything about it feels um, almost more like a TV movie in well, comparison. He got PG, it got PG-13-ified. Yeah, yeah, it did. I like Conan the Destroyer a lot better than the the, the Jonathan Mimosa remake. I, I I don't think I've ever sat through that whole thing. I think I it's gave up junk. an hour it's in. I gave up an junk. hour again. I don't I don't think I could finish that one. But then you know, like like with Conan, okay, Conan the Destroyer bombed because you know, hey, we need a wider audience. Well, that certainly worked. And they were planning more, because remember, at the end of the first movie, what what Oliver Stone and John Milius had planned was, this would be like the James Bond films. Every year to year and a half, there'd be a new one, and it would be a 12-film franchise showing Conan's entire life. And I was on board with that. I think and everyone Destro- was, And Destroyer yeah. said, and, and then Destroyer said, yeah, we're not doing any of that. Well, that that's one of the coolest parts of the the end of the first film is you see Conan kind of older, gruffer, sitting with that um, inquisitive look on his face, uh, you know, that troubled brow. And it's like, oh, it makes you want more of that. You want to you want to know when it gets to that point in, in Conan's life. You want to see that journey. And it's it's so unfortunate that we never got to get that. Well, they're supposedly for years they've been noodling a third film in the original franchise where Vin Diesel would play his son Ew. and and he would Ew. you know and he would be old ass Conan and all this, but they've been they've been trying to make this for like ten years now. Vin Diesel's son his as his son? But yeah. He's like five foot two. At one point they were saying the rock would play his son, and I went I could yeah. see that working a lot better. I mean, I kind of don't want it, but it's like, if we're going to have anybody play Conan's freaking son, it might as well get The Rock. Like, honestly, who in Hollywood right now is closer to, like, Arnold's 80s size than um, The Rock is? That's like an actual mainstream action guy. I can't really think of anyone else. Well, now, how about this one? The Oblivion movies from Full Moon. I love these movies. The Oblivion movies, maybe because of Peter David's scripts, are way more fun than they probably have a right to be as a Charles Band movie. Because Charles Band, while he makes fun movies, he doesn't usually make sort of lighter fun movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love the Oblivion movies. They they are almost true westerns in space. <laughs> Aren't they? No, they're really cool. Well, then you also have some other weird ones like Remember the David Carradine Future Zone Future Force oh. where he's got the like like laser glove hand thing? Oh, oh, you mean the two movies where he's like genuinely drunk the whole time? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's method acting and acting uh, alongside uh, Ted Pryor. Yeah, well, least, uh, they're directed the by one, David right? A. Pryor. Future, yeah. Future was that Future Force or Future Zone? Uh, I think Future 
Force is the one with time travel. Future Zone doesn't, or maybe I'm wrong. It's been a long time. The since one I've with seen time them. travel is where Ted Pryor is his son, and honestly, the kid does a good job in that movie. Like the Deadly Prey guy does is a very good job acting opposite a guy who whose bigger priority for the film is just getting sauced. Okay, then how about Ron Marciani? I'm probably mispronouncing that. Karate Cop and Omega Cop. Those also have oh. David Carradine in them, but he's just the bartender. Those movies. You don't like those? No. Oh come on! Okay, Omega Karate Cop's Dad. not great. I Ralph like Karate Cop. Like a boring action guy. He takes everything that's boring about Chuck Norris, who already is pretty goddamn boring, and somehow amps up the boring. He's ah. the guy that he's he's fucking he's Pee Wee baseball coach dad. Hey kids, let's get some hot dogs. Like screw that guy. Dark blue T-shirt and a baseball cap. He is he is literally on his way to a little league game. Sure, he could probably kick my ass. He's probably a really great martial artist, but I would just be telling him to go f*** himself the whole time. You're boring. You're boring. I don't like you. Ralph Macchiano is almost as bad as Jeff Speakman. That's what I'm going to say. Well, but then there's also, and Cecil would probably kill me for saying this, there's the two Fly movies. Now, the original Mm -hmm. franchise has three movies, so I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking the Cronenberg one, and then that god-awful sequel that Cecil somehow always tries to defend. I'm sorry. Fly 2 blows ass! It's awesome. Oh, God. Honestly, if you're going to to do a follow-up to a Cronenberg film, and you're not going to get Cronenberg to come back, I think they did as good a job as they could do to keep that story going. I really like Fly 2. It's also got some really great body horror elements of it. That that dog is the most one of the most tragic things in any movie I've seen. The effects are really good. The, the last 20 minutes or so when he's in full fly mode and god when he does that acid spit on the guy and his like skull is exposed and that dude that gets crushed by the elevator and stuff and and at the end when you know they take the bad guy and they get him all like deformed and mangled through the machines and now now he's the dog and it's like yeah okay there's some heavy-handed symbolism there. Fine. But I think Fly 2 is a really fantastic film. I mean, comparatively, fine. The original Cronenberg Fly, the remake that he made with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis and everything, is, in my opinion, one of the most perfect films ever made. It's one of my all-time favorite movies ever. But I really appreciate Fly 2 for what it did. I find it entertaining. I like that we we get to spend a little more time in the, the organization that Brundlefly is working for in the first film. We get to see a little more of that. We get to see a little more with the telepods. It's a fine sequel. It's not amazing. Not going to win any Oscars. But I thought for what it was, very well paced. Very well acted. Had some really good effects that that followed what we saw from the first film, which I honestly think still hold up as some of the, the best effects in any movie, really, in my opinion, ever made. Like, the, the fly really holds up. And I feel like what the sequel did with a lower budget, with a lower echelon director and team, did a really fine job. I mean, fine, you know, you can hate it, but I really I will. It. I mean, I'm not going to call it like, oh, it's just as good as the first one. But I, I think it's a solid follow-up, and I think it's, it pays decent enough respect to the to the first one, and it and it continues the story in an interesting way with what I feel like is a satisfying conflu- conclusion. Comes down to the final thing of a lot of these duologies should should they have had more movies? Were they good at two movies? Do you think most of these should have stopped at one movie and didn't need a second film? I, I, I'm very curious to hear what people think of whether these duologies deserve more, they should have been trilogies, or not. Because that's next week. Next week, 
we're going to look at film trilogies. Personally, really wanted Guyver 3. It wouldn't be the same as it is the others, man. Too much time has passed. It, it probably would. I meant like, you, you know. You'd be if disappointed. They'd made, they'd made another one in the 90s following uh, Dark Hero because, God, did I want, I want more of that. Well, in the meantime, guys, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, use the Nord code, the 1201beyond backslash DROME VPN. Where can people find Peter if they wish to tell him why he's wrong about Fly 2? You can go on Twitter to tell me how wrong I am about Fly 2 and to call me a sellout now that we're uh, NordVPN sponsors. But really, that is a great service, especially if you're somebody that likes to watch a lot of region-locked entertainment. Support us with NordVPN. Use the code that Josh has given out. You can also find me on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, of course, on 1201beyond.com with my work and plenty of other fine programming and merchandise for pretty much every other show on the website and on Patreon at Zinematica. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.